signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. And I'm Mirror Universe Adam. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I didn't know Adam could grow such a full and thick goatee. <laughs> but in the Mirror Universe, he can. So lustrous, mm-hmm. this goatee. Yeah, you put a little, um, <laughs> little soul glow in that thing. It really sparkles in the camera. Mirror Universe Will Wheaton is hosting the uh, After Trek show, and he's like, no thank you for watching. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking dorks, I'm going to stick you in a locker, make you watch the show from there. Live long and eat my ass. <laughs> <laughs> he's got an energy on that show that makes me think he's a hostage. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. Like, there's something in his eyes that, that feels like very wet, like... Mm-hmm. Like he was crying immediately before they rolled camera. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like they've got makeup covering the bruises, and he keeps holding up a copy of today's paper. And <laughs> like, why is he doing that? I, yeah, I've I've pivoted away from any any kind of laughing about After Trek and do like real concern for its host. <laughs> yeah, that uh, I I watched a second of it this morning because for some reason when I clicked play on new episode of Star Trek Discovery, it started playing new Star Trek after Trek. And I don't know, I don't know what's going on because there seems to be a lot of like cross-contamination between the two shows in the mm-hmm. in the app where last week I got the episode description of the new episode of Star Trek Discovery was the description right. of After Trek. This week it played After Trek the first time I tried and then I like I like clicked the menu button and clicked play again and it played Star Trek Discovery. I think I've unlocked my feelings about it. And those feelings go like this. I, being from Seattle and being me, (laughs) uh, I feel like kindness is a threat. Mm -hmm. And so I get the badgy vibes from Double W. Wow. Like at any moment, don't turn your back on After Trek. If uh, if the holodeck safeties get turned off on After Trek, <laughs> Will Wheaton is coming yeah. for all of us. He's coming yeah. for that ass, Adam. He he's going to get up in yeah. that ass, and you're going to know he's been there. It's not going to be more than he can handle. It's not a lot. <laughs> not a lot going on back there. Oh man! Um, but a but a lot going on in today's episode. So much going on. Um, yeah, Adam, do you want to see if this is an episode we should stand and salute or if it's the master of a trash heap? The thing about the Mirror Universe is when you're cosplaying as Mirror Universe, you really can't do the salute, can you? No, that would be bad. I wouldn't want the people on the live stream to see us doing it. You can't do that in Vegas either. I mean, you can probably do that outside of Vegas, I think. I think your experience <laughs> yeah. as a as a as a poll watcher <laughs> would indicate that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, let's get into it, Adam. It's season three, episode nine, Terra Firma, part one. We start in a in the six bay. It's uh, it's 
Dr. Dr. Kovic? Is he a doctor? Do we know? Uh, he's just a man of many interests as far uh, as we know. Right. He starts complaining right away. He's like, why am I here instead of my awesome six bay back on base? <laughs> this place is a real dope. Just wait till you see the pool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it seems cool and like and like retro to him? Like, oh man, they really don't build them like this anymore. I think Adir is the only one who's ever given that feeling any voice when they were like, it's like being on a museum. <laughs> Except cool and not on a not on a field trip. It's been upgraded, right? Like the upgrades with the with the nacelles have to be throughout the ship. Yes, but I mean we've never <laughs> Nine episodes into the future, Ben. We've not been on another future Federation starship. So we have no idea what a a jalopy this place has got to look like on the inside (laughs) versus all the other ships in the fleet. I mean, they're just really boring on the inside because they're just white voids. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yeah. They're they're totally filled with the goo that Stamets (laughs) has to stick his hands in to fly the ship. Yeah. People are just kind of floating around like... (laughs) All the grossest parts of the Matrix are. are <laughs> Welcome aboard. I'm Captain Tavar. Got any dilithium? I can really use a bit. It's like coming back from camping when you return from a future Federation ship. You need to allow time for a shower and a good. Yeah. A good wipe down of all of your things. (laughs) Very gooey. If you'd come to me sooner, I could have saved you a lot of trouble. They're talking about the condition that Giorgio is suffering from, and Kovic boots up a different hologram. They start on a hologram of Mug, and they switch to a hologram of another guy, a front zip, Lieutenant Commander Yor, who is described as being a time soldier. He came from... The relative past, but he also came from the Kelvin timeline, Adam. They talk about the Romulan mining ship going from one universe to another. It's so confusing because Kovic starts doing this bit where he's like, no, you're the first time soldier. And Culber's like, me? But I thought you said you're. And Kovic is like, I know, you're was the first time soldier. And, uh, and Culber's like, I thought you said I was lucky to miss the time wars. What do you mean? <laughs> he's he's always doing bits, that Kovic. Is Yor a, a Reman? Like, uh, like from uh, Star Trek Nemesis? Or is he some other type of alien? He's got weird loaf. I didn't ID him as that because I, I didn't put his from the, from the shoulders up into... Mm-hmm any other costume but the front zip but i think that's a good call sure look that way maybe he's a reman <laughs> culver's like now what race would you say this guy <laughs> and, and kovich is like yeah i mean i know you're from the past but that's a bit of a retrograde question culver <laughs> kovich is like your race is reman and culver's <laughs> like what i'm human that doesn't make any sense what about your and Kovic is like, I'm human too. <laughs> Kovic is like, and you're a racist. And, and Culber's like, hey, this guy's just a hologram. He can't defend himself. Don't call him that. <laughs> <laughs> this story that Kovic tells is, I mean, in addition to being about uh, 
time and dimensionality mm-hmm. is like yeah so uh, this this poor son of a bitch uh he he went across and over uh like the horse in chess <laughs> and uh and they had to euthanize him because uh he went he went dimensionally mad just mm-hmm. like mirror universe george o is going to anyway uh, you might want to consider that for her Indeed. I mean, the, the idea is that it like your the matter in your body wants to be in the timeline that it came from and doing a double jump really yeah. is, is really hazardous to your health. You don't want to travel in time and also across dimension. Double jump. Great for checkers. <laughs> terrible for time travel. Wow. You just board game bits all day today. <laughs> So the situation is pretty hopeless at the end because Kovic seems very confident in in his diagnosis. And Culber is like, well, why don't we ask the computer? The computer's smarter than both of us. And sure enough, the computer's like, yeah, I've got a solution, actually. Here it is. I thought this was really interesting. I like that Kovic was very dismissive of this shitty old ship and then got kind of shown up and was like, okay, well, <laughs> I was wrong. You were right. Good energy. Kovic is like, why Why am I even here if you're just going to ask the computer? Uh, and, and Culber's like, you're not going to ask the computer. You're just a hologram. I'm going to ask the computer. <laughs> we can do this all fucking show. Yeah. I'm looking at the camera when I say this. I, I'm watching the, uh, I'm watching the, our download numbers just crater. I didn't know it was possible to get negative downloads on an episode of The Greatest Discovery. There are six people left on the stream. We we started with 7,000. <laughs> Boy, Adam, you do not want molecule disease if you're a red wine drinker. You're going to spill that glass, and that's a nice Rydell wine glass. Tilly sees this from across the commissary and is thinking she really needs a temporal sippy cup for that thing. <laughs> She is unable to take it to the dome like she wants, and she's got a lot to drink about. Uh, attitudinally, Mirror Universe Giorgio is maybe at the bottom. She's hit yeah. rock bottom, right? She has. Uh, she's really uh, giving a lot of lunchroom bully energy here when Tilly comes over to talk to her. Mug <laughs> flips her some of the most devastating shit she's flipped yet. She calls Tilly Saru's walking command blunder. I uh, don't disagree. <laughs> so far, I'm on Mirror Universe Giorgio's side. <laughs> why? Yeah, that's why you keep doing that salute. I've never been a bully. I would never want to be. But I feel like if you're a bully like Mirror Universe Giorgio, you're probably pretty specific with what you order for lunch on the chance you're going to throw it at someone, right? Like you want to choose something chunky. She always gets an extra cup of soup uh, for her lunch. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I mean, you ordered the soup and the salad. You're not going to eat all that, are you? She's like, (laughs) just in case. I'm hungry for bullying. (laughs) This is one of those moments where uh, another person on Discovery is unnecessarily nice to someone who is so cruel to them. Yeah. And if you're going to be mean to someone and make and make me really hate you, being mean to Tilly is is the number one way to get to get there. I think. Right, it's a shortcut. That's for sure. So much food has been flo- flung around on the in the lunchroom on the disco. I feel like maybe maybe more 
than any other starship. We've seen a lot of food flying around in this room. They never did that on other Star Trek series because of the carpets, right? Yeah, on you're Discovery, right. it's just a floor squeegee situation into a yeah. drain and then you're good to go. <laughs> also, I bet the garments are are made in such a way that make cleanup a lot easier than they ever were on previous oh, yeah. shows, right? They're like sunbrella material. They just, you just hose them off and they're good to go. That's the thought I had when, when Tilly's covered in beef stew. I was like, well, that's you could use a dry rag on that. <laughs> um, later that night, Tilly's covered in a different kind of beef stew as she dreams about making it with Captain Picard in first contact. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've got two bombs on me, which show, which were so uh, so myth making that uh, <laughs> I it stunted my laughter completely. What little laughter I'm able to provide you as mm. a co-host. You told me you were having coffee right before we got on the mic, and I thought you were going to be ready for this type of shit, but clearly not. I, I'm already almost done with my eggnog coffee. Iced. Oh yeah! Wow, it's very good. But that's also why my my uh, my voice sounds so thick and, uh, and eggnoggy. Yeah. If, if, if you were wondering why Adam seems a little extra creamy today yeah. on uh, The Greatest Discovery. I've long suspected that uh, I've been a creamsman from the start. <laughs> I didn't want to admit it. I don't know if it will have been released by the time this is up, but I think I'm going to be on an, an upcoming episode of Jordan Jesse Go making eggnog cocktails with them. Wow. Yeah. That sounds great. What a good get for them. Uh, they have a long runner about the fact that character actor Walton Goggins has a uh-huh. celebrity uh, alcohol brand, and uh-huh. uh, and they have people call in jingles for Walton Goggins brand alcohols, like his whiskey and his vodka, and, uh, and I'm going to go on and help them make Walton Noggins. Hey, that sounds good. But you're yeah. going to do it all separately, like over the over the computer camera? I guess so, yeah. I was thinking about having their producer, Brian Fernandez, come over to my house and pick up like the mm. pre-mixed nog and then have them spike it on mic or something like that. I don't really know what they, what they have planned, but uh, you'll ha- people will have to tune in to find out. This is the first year that I've made homemade eggnog. I made it a couple of months ago. Like oh, nice. the, the right the right way with the eggs and the booze. You set and, it aside. Yeah. And it's very good. How uh, how much do you have left? Uh, I have a growler left. I made two growlers of it. Wow, nice work. One one growler left. I've been really motoring through it though. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's once, delicious. once you pop, <laughs> you can't stop. Friend of the show, Grant, made uh, a batch using mezcal. And next year, that is something that I'm going to want to do because he says it's even better than the one made with bourbon. So, What the fuck? I know. That sounds pretty great, right? I cannot wrap my mind around that. Yeah. Sounds like some mirror universe nog to me. It's not a joke or a scheme. Uh, they've got a 5% chance to save... Mug. They have a, a little McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where they're looking at uh, this idea that the Sphere Data Augmented Discovery computer came up with. Uh, they, they would have to take Mug to this planet, Danis 5, <laughs> drop her off like, uh, 
like Khan Noonien Singh and hope that a cataclysmic gravitational event doesn't shift Danis 5 into Danis 6's orbit. Okay, there's the camera. I just want to address my comments directly to uh, the writers of this episode. Whichever of you has a uh, a special friend or a father named Dan, congratulations <laughs> on, on naming Danis after them. That's that's really great. Good job. <laughs> Admiral Salt and Pepper is is here for this, and they're talking about other events going on in the Federation. You know, on on the Federation's slate of agenda items one of which is Mm -hmm. that the emerald chain is doing some kind of like war game uh you know (laughs) kind of reminded me of like hunt for red october oh this is merely an exercise kind of kind of vibes but uh from the jump right why even call it an exercise he says uh this danis five place is nowhere near where the emerald chain stuff is going on and i wondered why does that matter to him? Because the spore drive kind of takes that off the table as an issue, doesn't it? Distance is meaningless. Is he just so stuck in his way of thinking that it takes forever to get anywhere? <laughs> yeah, uh, Admiral Fisherman, who's married to the sea, is just so stuck to his ways. <laughs> he can't possibly think about things any differently now that he's got this new information. Yeah. What he sees in Saru is also really interesting uh, related to that idea. Like, if he's stuck in his ways, he's looking at Saru and is like, dude, you're fucking blowing it, man. Like, this this idea, like, take my boot out of your mouth for a second and listen to me. <laughs> like, you are going to lose your crew if if you keep going by the book like this. They respect a captain who's willing to bend things a little bit for the sake of saving someone's life, especially the life of someone that's a part of the crew. Yeah. I wonder how much Mug feels like a part of the crew to the crew. You know? Like, oh, I don't think she does, but it's it's like uh it's a it's that aggressive niceness thing happening again. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of wisdom in what the Admiral is saying here f- from a managerial standpoint. Like they want to know that you've got their back and they want to see you having other people's back, but Right. Uh, but uh, like, I, like I kind of feel like you can carve out a total exception zone around Mug in in issues like that. It's interesting how no one brings up the interest of the patient here ever. I was yeah. She, shouldn't she be in this scene? Weren't they like going to get her in the lunchroom? Have they deemed her unable to advocate for herself at all at this point? There doesn't seem to be a tipping point where they're like, well, she's clearly, and then like Culber's drawing a, a yeah. circle around his ear. Like we can't, we can't allow her to make her own medical decisions. I guess, I guess Kovich is, is her. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm reading here on memory alpha that there's a deleted scene where Mug is given a conservatorship that Kovich yeah. is in charge of. <laughs> Pretty fast to leap to the emergency contact Uh, state of their relationship yeah no you're my emergency contact (laughs) I thought you said he was dead (laughs) (laughs) I like seeing how uh, manipulatable the needs of the many argument is depending on who wields it right yeah 
Because Saru is on one side of it and, and the Admiral is like, no, that's actually not my interpretation. Mm-hmm. Starfleets uh, will beat the shit out of each other with the needs of the many argument. Much like mm-hmm. Mug will beat the shit out of a uh, practice dummy in the martial arts dojo on the ship. Uh, where Michael confronts her and tells her, like, listen, we're actually going to do this thing to help you. And uh, that inspires Mug to attack her with an axe. Yeah, suicide by Michael Burnham, I think, is her plan. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not a terrible plan. Michael Burnham has uh, has demonstrated a willingness to attempt to kill Philippa Giorgio. If you're a member of a CrossFit gym and... And there's a hatchet on the wall. <laughs> I might change memberships. All you need is the big tire. That's it. Yeah. Big tire, thick ass ropes, and you're all set. This scene kind of goes to underscore this thing that Kovic is talking about, that if Philippa Giorgio thinks she's on her way out, she's going to look to take as many people out with her as she can. Like the the closer she gets to death, the more dangerous she becomes in a sort of Klingon wanting to die in battle sort of way. I definitely got the wharf vibes as well from that idea. And I like the idea as presented. Yeah. No, unfortunately, no one listens to Kovic. <laughs> I thought you're supposed to listen to Kovic. <laughs> it's like, it seems like you're just standing there not listening to anybody, but you're a hologram, so you could be forgiven. <laughs> Uh, Michael Burnham gives Mug a raise the tension bracelet to be activated anytime the story may need it down the road. It's like it's a touching moment. <laughs> it's like a life alert uh, bracelet that becomes very embarrassing for Mug later in the episode. But uh, my story is boring, <laughs> and I can't get excited. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Story editors are on the way, (laughs) ma'am. After the theme, we we arrive at Danis 5. Before we go down there, Ben, you know we've got to get the Rambo getting ready packing scene. And uh, it's here where Saru and Tilly say their goodbyes. Uh, Tilly's had time to clean herself up between the previous scene and now. Yeah. It's not quite farewell, we love you. Like Tilly gives Mug a, a big hug, but I interpreted that much more as I know you're probably scared kind of hug than a Tilly really loves her kind of hug. Because they're they're both saying like like we have gotten something out of knowing you, but it doesn't quite rise to the level of like respect or affection. I wonder to what extent a scene like this will inspire. Uh, you know, so many children of distant parents when that time comes, you know? Because I think, what do you say in a moment where culture uh, projects the importance of, you know, like ultimate forgiveness at the end and, you know, putting something together that may have been destructive and harmful to you, you know, throughout your lives and I thought like Saru's comments especially were were really good and inspiring. I think the way he put it was was all right. I fear this may be the last we see of you. And I want you to know that I have learned as much from you as I learned from our 
prime, Giorgio. Like Tilly's so great and kind and like such a such a beautiful soul that like I don't falter for going in for the hug. I think that's the version that culture assumes and encourages people to to do, to be like. While Saru, I think, is a is a more thoughtful, realistic this might be Saru's finest hour is what I'm trying to say. Wow. Big words from Adam. This uh, this was really touching for Giorgio. And she says, no, you're crying. And Saru is like, yours is in a different room. And he, he's not crying. He's just standing there. It is impossible to get canceled, right? Like we, we do the canceling. No one else does that. <laughs> no one else has that kind of power, no matter how awful the runner is. I mean, people could cancel their their support at maximumfund.org slash current members, I believe, is where you go to do that. You're not going to cancel their membership. <laughs> You're is a hologram. You're doesn't You're never even listen to this program. <laughs> So uh, after this, after this poignant moment, uh, Mirror Universe, Giorgio and Michael Burnham beam down to Hoth, where Mug disembowels Michael Burnham on the spot and <laughs> crawls into her corpse, where she <laughs> mentions how uh, she always guessed she'd be smellier on the inside. <laughs> You're not as smelly as you look. <laughs> He's doing it. He's going for the record. (laughs) (laughs) There's a scene in engineering where Adira is working on the algorithm. So the thing that we missed in last week's episode is that the distress signal that they picked up must have information in it. It's not just a... It's not just an SOS. There's there's something else in the carrier wave, and that's what this algorithm is about. <laughs> I that totally. I watched the episode twice last week, and I completely missed it both times. It's not anything to miss, Ben, because this is uh, this is equivalent to you getting a call to your cell phone and not leaving a voice, and that person not leaving a voicemail, and then you doing nothing, right. You're not calling them back. You have an idea that it may be very important from someone that you care about deeply, but you don't do anything about it. I it, it was driving me crazy this entire episode that the Veruba Nebula wasn't the main thing anyone was thinking about. Like, sure, Giorgio is sick. That's true. Emerald Chain is doing something else. That's true. The Federation should be laser focused on this Veruba Nebula thing. At some point, Robert's rules of order were left behind in the Federation (laughs) because someone should have brought up the minutes during that initial meeting with the Admiral so that that we could continue down that story. Yeah, like what we need is a scene where where Saru gets like like an easel out with a blown up, uh, you know, foam core of the the Federation flag. And he's like, you see how few stars are on this now (laughs) in our time? Tons of stars. If, now, if we want to get back to a m- many, many more stars type flag, are we going to focus on these yo-yos with the emerald chain or are we going to focus on the Veruba Nebula? These stars over here, these are your stars <laughs> and my stars. <laughs> Everybody's stars. Now, uh, quick question. I thought your was from a different <laughs> timeline and 
uh, dimension. So would they be your stars? <laughs> what I love about the show right now and right now until the end of it is that we're just doing it for us now. It's just you and me. <laughs> we can Nobody really explore it. the space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Explore your space, and I'll explore my space. No one sufficiently explains why we have a location and a distress call, and we've got to wait for the translation. Don't wait for the translation. <laughs> Go rescue the ship now. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, I guess to play devil's advocate, or showrunner's advocate, or, or whatever, like, is is it just that this has been a problem for 120 years and like six more weeks of fumble fucking around with the emerald chain isn't going to change the fact that the burn happened? I mean, no one says it, but if it's a ship full of corpses, I could understand the reluctance to to put this up to the top of the list, but no one puts it that way. Yeah. I just, yeah, I wish there was a character giving voice to the concerns that we have. Um, we do get a little uh, follow-up on Adira's uh, emergence issue, demergence issue. Gray is still nowhere to be found, and, you know, Stamets is trying to kind of point at the silver lining of this. Maybe this is what Gray thinks is best for you and Adira's like that's not Gray's call to make I I want I want to like feel the companionship of having Gray here I don't want Gray pushing me out of the nest and and you know being absent from my consciousness Stamets tells Adira that if this were season one or two I would kick your fucking ass and get someone else who could do the job <laughs> but because we're so close I'm not gonna do that because yeah. I've changed my character completely into one of compassion and kindness. <laughs> you know that part at the beginning of the scene where you were banging on the keyboard? In season one and two, I would have been, I, I would not have been like, hey, delicate equipment here. I would have been like, who the fuck are you and why are you in engineering? <laughs> you remember when I spent 16 episodes just bullying our favorite character, Tilly, <laughs> all up and down the scene? Hey, why don't you uh, blow yourself out an airlock and go be a teen genius in space? <laughs> <laughs> Algorithm complete, Ben. <laughs> In this very scene, Stamets is like, "Yeah, you just uh, you didn't turn it back on again. You <laughs> big goof." Yeah, you just unplug it and plug it back in, and you're good to go. Yeah, we got to go get Saru because what we've learned from the algorithm's completion is serious. But Saru's with Book right now, and Book is saying things about having information that could be useful to the captain of a starship. And Saru gives him the big city fuck you about uh, waiting your turn and biding your time and going and doing whatever it is that Book does when uh, Michael Burnham's not on the ship. Not a total surprise. I wasn't expecting Saru to just give Book a field commission, but he does kind of uh, push him back and keep him at arm's length and he says to Book, uh, you know, this is Starfleet. Like, we don't just fly by the seat of our pants here. We do everything by the book. And Book is like, yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping for. By the book, like with me. And Saru is like, no, I, I want you to buy a book about being in Starfleet and study the book. 
And the thing is, you're trying to propose to me that I read your book. Your <laughs> is in Six Bay. Book is right here, here in front of me. I need to be using my book. <laughs> ben, try to imagine you're, you're lost in a national park. You've been hiking. And uh, it's starting to get dark. It's starting to get a little cold. You're by yourself. Not even your doggies with you. Oh. You, uh, you have no more water. You're running out of food. Oh, thank God. There's a, a park ranger <laughs> you're running into. And the park ranger's like, hey, buddy. Uh, need any help? Because I know this park like the back of my fucking hand. And I could get you back to the parking lot on the warmth of your car immediately. What do you say? <laughs> It's a quarter mile from here. I just point you in a, in a direction and you start walking. No, but instead what you would do if you were Saru, Ben, you'd be like, get the hell out of here, park ranger. <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm just going to keep walking in the same direction. Don't need you. He, uh, he goes around the corner and uh, Admiral, the Admiral's there and he's like, hey, Saru, just another piece of advice. When somebody <laughs> offers you an awesome advantage, <laughs> don't look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> Saru looks at uh, at book and he's got like if you've got time to offer intelligence you've got time to clean. <laughs> <laughs> Down on the ice planet, Giorgio and Michael Burnham are getting snowed on, and they have been kind of following a vague path that seems to be kind of in implied in the tricorder slash personal transporter slash communicator slash ID badge that Michael Burnham is wearing. They they start to pick up what Michael Burnham says are kind of like life signs and the camera pitches up and reveals Carl, the newspaper reading portal entity hanging out there on the snow in like an Adirondack chair wearing some tweed and a bowler hat. Paul Gilfoyle looking resplendent yeah, fun to see him. I wonder how much thought they gave to this chair. Because as as chairs go, the Adirondack is so reclined. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a very chill chair. It's not comfortable to sit up in as often as you see Paul Guilfoyle sit up in it. Right. The way he is. Yeah. And it's also incongruent with, with snow, I feel like. Yeah, you usually want to like pull that in or throw a tarp over it if it's going to be snowing, right? Right. What were what were the vibes that you got from this guy? I got I got sort of Q-ish vibes from him. I did too. I got very like early TNG TOS yeah. kind of feeling from the introduction of this character and this mechanic because he is like speaking in riddles and also Alice in Wonderland shit too, like which is another reference that the show's made before. Yeah. The way he speaks is frustrating in a kind of like yeah, like that Alice in Wonderland riddle kind of way. Maybe you should have studied up on doors a little before you came down here. He is offering this door to Mirror Universe Giorgio, and basically the deal seems to be like she can uh, walk through it and solve her problems, but that doesn't necessarily mean she's going to survive. Like something else in there can kill her uh, is is the implication. And... Um, Michael Burnham is like scanning the door and she's like, I mean, the, the door reads as a door. <laughs> so I guess you could do whatever you want. Giorgio starts having her 
particle effect glitch outs and she's like I wonder if you're willing to go through that door first just to prove that it's safe of course it would be safe for your <laughs> yours been in multiple dimensions <laughs> the glitch out effect on mirror universe Giorgio looks so good and complex yeah it blows my mind every time I see it I keep expecting it to, well, I would have expected if you were to pitch me like the previs, if you're, if you're telling me what it's going to look like, I would be like, I've seen this before and it never looks that good. I've got to believe that there was a moment between like at that moment of previs where someone had to take a leap of faith that was like, I'm going to believe that this is going to look better than I've ever seen it. And the effects team went and did that. I, I thought a lot about how many times we've been told about a space disease in Star Trek and how how seldom it feels like a real disease. It just looks like a fever. Yeah, this really works. It's, it is really scary when it happens to her and also looks amazing. Yeah. We cut away from this scene back up to Disco where Stamets and Adira show the video they discovered to Captain Saru. It's kind of the uh, the hollow recording of Princess Kelpie and Leia. Yeah, and the actor who plays Kelpie and Leia is the same one who played Saru's sister. Whoa. So that was briefly confusing for me. Huh. What an interesting choice. I mean, it sure does ground the moment in an emotional effect that that makes us understand what Saru is going through over and above just the idea that it's another Kelpian. Right. It's one of these like messages in a TV show where the what seems to be the important bit of information gets cut off at the end. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. they, they were waiting for rescue from a Federation ship that didn't show up and they just really need to tell you this one last thing. Right. They talk a lot about what's going on in the Veruban Nebula. There's thought that there may be a lot of dilithium there like a i think they say dilithium nursery which uh, i know that like nebulas sometimes have stellar nurseries in them so that's mm. uh i wonder if uh i wonder if it's like a different kind of nebula that has a dilithium nursery all we can do is wonder ben because we will never go there yeah they're like we got to tell the admiral and saru was like how about we not tell the admiral <laughs> This is a tantric mission right here. We've just yeah. got to keep it just out of reach. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that it's going to be like episode 12 or 13 before we get to the Veruban Nebula? I mean, based on all evidence up until now, uh, yeah, I, that is what I believe. God, that's got to be a moment where you're on that you're on that ship, you're waiting for rescue, and then the burn happens, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> Guess we better set up shop here. Yeah. Uh, anybody want to uh, perpetuate the species with me? <laughs> ben, you always want to perpetuate the species. No, you're going to perpetuate the species. But he is not compatible with me. I'm a Kelpian. <laughs> <laughs> Down on the planet, uh, Mug makes her decision. She's walking through that door. And on the other side is Mirror Universe Discovery. Yeah. It's Charon Christening Day, and everyone's excited. 
It's uh, it's almost as exciting as Toyotathon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very uh, exciting time of year. They have a giant red bow on top of the Caron. Yeah, the dealer slaps the Caron on the hood, and it's like uh, this ship can really genocide. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to uh, kick the stars or anything? <laughs> yeah. Um, this seems to be further in the past than we've ever been on this show. This mm-hmm. is this is a a time in the mirror universe well before uh, we we went there in season one. But uh, Captain Killy is there to greet the Empress, and Giorgio like doesn't have a perfect poker face here. Like everybody can kind of tell that. She is not quite up to speed. She's like covering up her life alert bracelet and <laughs> going like, right. And Lorca's going to betray me. And Kelly's like, hey, don't say that out loud. What? It's interesting that these these scenes turn that trope on their head a bit because like the idea of being a spy is all about not betraying how little you know. And when Mug starts saying the quiet parts out loud, it's actually a power move in her position. Yeah. And and I mean, that's kind of a privilege of rank. This is a universe where you have to look for backstabbers around every corner. And Killy doesn't necessarily believe that they aren't in a hallway full of backstabbers. But Giorgio has a confident the confidence of like hindsight. You know, like she knows who is in on the betrayal and who isn't. Right. This is her Groundhog's Day. (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. I'm not going to live by their rules anymore. There ain't no party like a Mirror Universe party. Because the party games at a Mirror Universe party are fucking dangerous, Ben. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't play, throw a knife at the pumpkin on my head with a Mirror Universe for love or money. You know, like people who betray as a reflex, throwing knives at each other's heads. It seems like extending trust at a, as a party game is like the last thing you, you want to do at all. Detmer's like, uh, you know, you could put an eye out doing something like that. I wouldn't <laughs> know because I still have both of my eyes. Yeah. See? Enter Mirror Universe Michael Burnham. And this is the first time we've been with the real Mirror Universe Burnham, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good call. I think you're right. I love Sonequa Martin-Green's performance here. And I think it's got to be so challenging to return to play a character that you've played before and to play that person as big as this, knowing that you've played her previously in a slightly different way. Because the direction really feels like there's nothing too big, right? Yeah. They brought back Commander Landry... Ben, which was like the moment of the of the episode where I'm like, I've got to be looking everywhere in the room because there's just going to be people Easter eggs around. Totally. I I think I saw the pre-modification Commander Arium, too. Yeah. That was uh, that was neat. I I really like the evil version of the little uh, floating robots that fix the ship hanging around. Yeah, that's fun. They've got red eyes and they're all painted black. Cool. How often are they out murdering people? <laughs> Probably all the time. Yeah. One of them wants to be like the head of the work detail and 
takes a spanner and clubs clubs the other one. It's it's all you know. It's trickle down evil. You know Landry is there not because you've been looking into the background, but because there's an incident with a Kelpian servant spilling a drink on her, and she she does not react well to a a service industry employee making a mistake. Yeah, what is her name? Karen Landry. Yeah. <laughs> So this Kelpian, who is not Saru, uh, gets gets punished by by soup. Soup is the punishment for that one, and Saru tends to this other Kelpian uh, with an amount of uh, of grace and kindness that you just don't see in the mirror universe. This is, Saru doesn't appear to have changed very much between Universe A. Right, he's he's sort of the smiley of of the discovery crew and um michael burnham is there talking about maybe we should just kill all these kelpians kelpian genocide is a, a thing that imagine she is, all the soup we could have yeah. like we we don't have to eat it all at once Giorgio. we could freeze it we yeah. could make it and freeze it you put all the threat ganglia on a on a sheet pan on some <laughs> parchment paper and you put it in the freezer so they freeze flat and then you put them in a ziploc and you got you could have a threat ganglia whenever you want. It's really forward thinking. <laughs> Michael Burnham is about to uh, is about to subject Saru to the same awful fate as the soup spiller, but um, Mug steps in here and and saves him, which is kind of a like a record scratch moment at this party like mercy is really not something she's famous for and people are kind of off their game when they see her do this um they don't understand what's going on and michael burnham least of all she is kind of she she kind of thinks of this as grotesque in a way yeah i mean you get a couple of scenes with mirror universe Giorgio that don't end in blood and all of a sudden, everyone's like, well, what the fuck's up with Mug? Yeah. I mean, she comes into a party, and usually it's kind of a bloodbath within half an hour or so, but not today. Yeah, I mean, as soon as she walked into the party, I started putting on my raincoat. <laughs> uh, she has a private moment with Saru where she kind of enlists his services of a spy. And the thing that persuade Saru here is that like the scene is so interesting because Mug is like I know of Vaharai and Saru's like holy shit that like hearing that word come out of your mouth is insane to me you must really know everything about everything huh she's like I learned it uh, when I did a study abroad in Ibiza (laughs) I know it must sound weird to uh, hear your language come out of my mouth and Saru is like you're not even here. Yours, uh, <laughs> yours in a different dimension. Did you read it in a book or something? And she's like, the book's not here either. <laughs> this is an impression power move. Yeah. She's like, I know everything and I hear everything. That's how I know that word. Right. And by hearing and knowing everything, it makes me able to use you and threaten you to an even greater extent. Because if I know everything and I know all the words, including your words then I have ultimate power over you. But here's the thing. I'm going to need you to be a spy for me also. Right. And if you don't, I'm going to use all this knowledge that I have about you and your people against you. That's the the subtext. She is getting dolled up for the ceremony, the, the 
the unveiling of her new flagship and uh she heads out uh having gotten you know the the tea from saru about this Lorca and burnham plan to betray her and uh, they're walking down the hallway and they see like owo and reese having a pretty pretty insane fist fight to uh to determine who's going to be the captain of the honor guard you would think that like, I understand that some jobs you get to kill the person and take their job in the mirror universe, but you would think honor guard is something that you get vetted for. It's not just a kill right. into kind of position. Agreed. <laughs> I like that their instinct is to bet on this right away. Yeah. As if gambling is some sort of vice that uh, that would only be appropriate in the mirror universe. I'll tell you what is a vice. I kind of got the feeling that mirror universe Burnham couldn't cover her $500 wager. <laughs> Because she, she can't, she like sh- shuts the fight down before it's definitive. It's like, okay, we'll figure this out later. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, Ben, but there's no pockets in leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> they watch a performance before the unveiling of the ship. It's uh, Stamets narrating some kind of Cirque du Soleil style reenactment of... The history of Mug, as written by evil Dr. Seuss. 525,600 murdered. (laughs) Seasons of Mug. (laughs) Ben, I actually got a a box from CBS that had some some props and stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, and, uh, And I actually got the program for this for this ceremony and it's actually called sadistic de soleil <laughs> cool which is the sort of thing that uh, that you feel like you want to do when you go to vegas but i mean it's just really expensive and yeah. i don't know if you want to spend three hours not gambling eating or drinking yeah you've you've got you've got reservations at momofuku and you know that it's going to get ex- more and more expensive as the night goes on. So why waste this hour? That's time I could be using uh, in far more harmful ways. Real dramatic reveal of the ship, though. They they drop the uh, the curtain and it, it's revealed that we're like in the cargo bay and the Charon mm-hmm. is, is out there. And uh, Giorgio gets up to, you know, they're like chanting, speech, 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 speech. <laughs> Giorgio is like, guys, I don't... Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Michael Burnham's like, come on, you know you're going to make a speech. And she's like, yours is not going to make a speech. Your doesn't have any lines in this episode. <laughs> All he does is stand there. <laughs> I love the framing when she uh, turns around and the sun is inside of her crown. Yeah. It's so dope. This is a speech that does not stop for attempted assassinations. Like she like knifes Stamets in the neck while she is talking about how she's not going to stand for anybody betraying her. You and I have given a lot of toasts in our in our lives, even even at the same event. Yeah, Ben, and and from now on, I'm going to be looking for the assassin <laughs> in our midst. <laughs> she says, uh, you know, if if anybody tries to undermine the effective working of this government i will throw the book at them and uh, she grabs him and throws him across the room (laughs) what you want after any speech or toast 
is for someone to toast you for the toast you just gave. And that's what Mirror Michael Burnham does here. She's so moved. It seems for a moment that, that we might have gotten her back on uh, on Emperor Giorgio's side. Yeah, but even this is a double cross because she's just kind of using it to turn attention away from herself so that she can slip out the back door. And she is right. kind of scurrying down a hallway when she comes across Captain Killy, who's waiting there for her with some guards. And Mug comes up behind her and says, listen, Mirror Michael, we're on to you. We know everything about your little plan with Lorca. And if you confess now, I will not kill you. And it's almost like Mirror Burnham is allergic to expressions of mercy. Like she cannot fuck. It does not compute. She she almost goes nuts hearing the idea that she would not be killed for her betrayal. And her admission here feels deranged like like something in her broke in this scene that is so enjoyable to watch i wonder if sonequa martin green watched any of the performances that nana visitor did in mirror universe for ds9 because there's some oh interesting there's some like henry rollins shit from the liar video happening here where where there's anger being said with a smile and there's uh there's like almost laughter while while saying something cruel and there's there's like the pooling in the eyes that's happening at the same time that makes the combination so uh so creepy it's a really really interesting performance and and one that i really liked i did too i thought it was awesome um again she should be hosting snl she's probably too good for that show at this point yeah it almost seems like She's almost orgasmic about the betrayal. And yeah. this is all like going crazily enough that like, I mean, every time we cut to the reaction of somebody outside of this duel, people are like, cannot figure out what is going on because like you said, like anytime Mug enters a room, usually the blood starts flowing and instead she... Uh, you know, like she pulls out a, a sword and is about to chop Michael's head off and instead sends her to the agonizer booth. And this is like the the moment where the story breaks from the the way the timeline went when Mug experienced it the first time. It really makes Mirror Universe Michael Burnham, who I mean it's an acronym that doesn't doesn't become neat because mum isn't <laughs> isn't great. But I really respected her game because the manipulation here is so airtight. Like this game of chicken goes like if Mug doesn't murder her in front of everyone, she's proven right. Right. Yeah. It's like one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies. Kind of a who's really been boxed in here, Ben? Is it mum? <laughs> Or is it Mug? <laughs> <laughs> who agonizer boothed who? You're not boxed in here. You can leave whenever he wants. <laughs> Book me a trip to the agonizer. <laughs> agonizer, not execution. Hmm. That's the sentence that they gave her. Yeah. Uh, did you like this episode, Ben? That's the that's the moment we end. 
it is an episode that I feel extremely complicated feelings about because I did not want to go back to the mirror universe. I felt like that was well left in the past. I felt crazy when halfway through this episode we went there and then didn't ever go back to the prime universe. Like we're not telling parallel stories anymore. This is the story that is being told on Star Trek Discovery right now. And that feels like a an insane divergence from what felt like it was being set up as the most important. And yet I <laughs> had a lot of fun watching the stuff that happens in this. And it's such an interesting character shift for Mug because it it does really feel like as much as she has taught things to Tilly and Saru in the Prime Universe, they have taught things to her, as loath as she would be to admit that. There's been talk of there being a Giorgio television spinoff, and I sort of wonder if they're writing directly toward that in this two-part arc, and if that's why it's here. Oh, it's more than that, Ben. The showrunners for that show are the writers of this episode. So that feels like from a like mechanical standpoint why this is happening but i like it felt weird from a discovery standpoint that uh that this was the episode we got that said like i it makes me think that the the georgia show will be interesting to watch for sure i think that's probably what they'll, what they'll call it right the georgia show yeah gotta <laughs> be you can you can stop thinking of ideas <laughs> That's it. I'm as conflicted as you are, Ben, because uh, this was supposed to be the future, and it feels like we're out of ideas at this point. And it pains me to say that. Yeah. Like it. It feels like this is a show creatively unwilling to write new chapters because it's more interested in creating and revealing this puzzle season after season, the, the puzzle of the season. Yeah. Then it is about telling a coherent story or writing new pages into the Star Trek canon and why we're supposed to care. Like I totally get the, the fun writing exercise of creating the puzzle box and breaking it apart into a season and dosing it out in a way that, that like, I, that's gotta be satisfying. It feels like that's what creating media is most about right now is is about the cute puzzle box format of something that began with the sixth sense like i wonder to what extent the sixth sense ruined storytelling sense or or made it such a such a point on the horizon for a a storyteller to aim for yeah that you're just chasing that dragon all the time I've never heard the sixth sense brought up as like that inflection point before, but that movie came out in the same year as the last season of Deep Space Nine, which I feel like is the other part of that inflection point. Like those, yeah, that 10 part story arc that kind of changed the way television was made thereafter. It feels like being manipulated and that's, I don't like that feeling. Yeah. I mean, I like it sometimes. I like, you know, I like watching a magic trick, you know, where I don't know how they, they did the trick. But 
I don't want it to all be card tricks. I don't want all of media to just be that kind of feeling. Yeah, that shouldn't be the point. The story has got to be the point. I think it's it's something that we forgive in shows that are like really incredible, like Watchmen. And I mean, I feel like Discovery has risen to that level. And maybe we'll look back on season three after we've seen all of it and feel like uh, this this was all in service of something greater. But uh, but yeah, I'm 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 with you. Like I and I like I imagine that you get the job of getting to make new Star Trek and just being like so excited. Like I can't imagine anything more exciting and I can't imagine anything more satisfying than breaking a season of a show. But I, I like this. You're right. This does make me really miss the simplicity of a TNG that just says like, okay, like we're going to tell like almost a morality play or, or a, a parable and the setup is this ship, this crew, and this is the problem that they're dealing with this week. And it doesn't have anything to do with the problem they dealt with last week or, and, or the week after this. It's hard to articulate because like, I don't, I don't think either of us are wishing for a more simplistic way to tell Star Trek stories. It's just that like, there is only one Damon Lindelof Right. And and not everything needs to be Lindelof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> give me yeah. give me a four episode arc that's told the Lindelof way. I'm so fucking there. Yeah. But I kind of shake my head in an episode like this. Like I, I enjoy it like you do because the mirror universe is fun, but it's fucking fast food. The mirror universe is fast food. It's empty calories. Yeah. Well, do you want to see if we have any uh, extremely nutritious calories in our priority one message inbox, Adam. A green smoothie. That's what the priority one messages are. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. And our first one goes like this. It's from Brian. It's to all viewers everywhere. And the message says, I am paying 100 American dollars to amplify my hot take. <laughs> The relative strength of Picard and Lower Decks really highlights the uneven quality of Discovery. I'm glad Disco opened the door for a new Trek, but it's starting to feel like Season 1 TNG. (laughs) Of course, the quality of Greatest Discovery is entirely consistent. Thank you, Ben and Adam. Thank you, Brian. Well, that's what we aim for is consistency. Like, we're like... We're like the McDonald's of podcasts, you know, like it Mm. sucks, but it's always the same. People tell us all the time, your show is so consistent. And I'm like, your doesn't even have a podcast. He's a hologram. (laughs) You never hear him say anything. They're like, have you ever considered uh, making a book? I'm like, making a book? What are you talking about? That's a character on a show. We don't have a show. Uh, thanks, Brian. Uh, we have another priority one message here from Ryan in Sacktown, and it's to Ben and Adam, and also John. Even though I know he doesn't listen, I, I guess that's uh, probably John Roderick that Ryan in Sacktown is referring to. It goes like this: Heard you were running low on P ones. Still loving the pod. Bit lukewarm on Disco slash Picard, like Gowron answering with new phone who dis over and over again. 
I know someone at Paramount is trying to get me on the line, but it's just not connecting. Loved Lower Decks. Would recommend to any fans of TNG slash DS9. Thanks again, and stay safe. Yeah, I think Ryan's saying what we had said throughout Lower Decks. We should get Ryan and Brian together. Like, it seems yeah. like they're they're on the same page. Yeah, they seem like they'd be good friends. Mostly. I guess they disagree on Picard, but... <laughs> True. But, uh, yeah, I, I like this new phenomenon of people using P1s to just podcast their own <laughs> opinions. <laughs> yeah, uh, podcast one messages are what we've got now. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, whatever it, whatever it takes, uh, priority one messages support the show. And yeah. uh, if you'd like to be like Brian and Ryan, your name doesn't have to rhyme with theirs. No. You can have any name you want, including... Your name. Or book name. <laughs> Just go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, you know what to do. Danny will walk you through it. Yeah. It'll be great. And we appreciate it. Don't start a podcast. Just do a P1. <laughs> I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? You're in Edward Larkin. See, I'm confused. <laughs> are you are you saying are you saying I'm the Edward Larkin or that <laughs> you're in Six Bay is the Edward Larkin? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm the Edward Larkin or you're the Edward Larkin. Your is the Edward Larkin. You gotta be kidding me. I'm gonna need a, a book to understand <laughs> what you're trying to tell me about who the Edward Larkin is in this episode. Are you saying book is your Edward Larkin? No, but you just said you're the Edward Larkin. (laughs) I'm trying to find out whether book is your Edward Larkin. Just to make this bit work, I'm gonna say book's my Edward Larkin. (laughs) Book him, Dano. We've got Terra Firma part two coming up, Ben. Yeah. And uh, were you able to watch a clip? Anything that gave you any new information on the next episode? I watched the trailer for the next episode and it was impenetrable to me. I did not feel like I learned anything about what it's going to be. Um, I was kind of hoping for a glimpse. Thank you so much for trying to watch the new clip of the next episode. (laughs) I'm definitely not a hostage. (laughs) I say this of my own free will. I thought I was going to maybe see... Lorca in there because Lorca yeah. is on everyone's lips in this episode and it really seems like Jason Isaacs would be a fun person to bring back from time to time on this program and I am hoping I just didn't see him because they didn't want to spoil the surprise but uh let me ask you though do you want that slash is it good for the show to give you what you may or may not want uh, I do want it, and I don't know if it's good for the show because I haven't seen it yet. I feel like handled right, it could be great, and handled wrong, it could be corny and stupid. I love Lorca, and I I want to see him too, but I want this show to to flick me in the tip of the dick. Like I don't want, <laughs> I don't think it would be a good idea. Like, don't give me what I want here. Wow. Whatever happened to the customer's always right, man. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. God, we're running out of runway here on this show, Ben. I have no idea. One thing that the show is doing really well, I think, is making it so that I cannot possibly predict how this is going to end. Yeah. I mean, they've always been good at that. And 
and I think always been good at having the end come at a time that you know the beginning of the end come at a time that I didn't predict Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's a double episode finale or something else uh, you know I think that uh, there's still a ton of talent being brought to bear on this program I just never really feel like I'm on terra firma Mm. Mm. well we're gonna have to leave it with Rob's from here take it away Rob's The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte, and our theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who is an amazing chef over on YouTube. Go check out his videos. If you're looking for more Trek, why don't you discover our back catalog? If you have already caught up on every episode, now's a perfect time to go re-listen to some of your favorites. There's a lot of stuff back there. And don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are both handled by the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Thank you, Bill. We really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.